Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 is the number if you want to be part of the conversation or send a message through the KPL app chat. If you don't have the KPL app, go to your app store, whether it's you're using an Apple device, an Android device, whatever. Download the KPL News app. You can be part of the conversation. And today we're having a conversation with another candidate for Lafayette Parish Tax Assessor, and that is Justin Santani. Justin, welcome to the studio. Good afternoon, Joe. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you on. Uh, This is day two of us having the candidates, which there's only two of y'all in the race. That's about two days too long, right? (laughs) Well, (laughs) as I said yesterday, it's very difficult to, this is a very, this is actually a very important role, but it's also one that's like the most difficult to make like a sexy topic to talk about. Everybody's talking about the drama in like the mayor president's race, legislative races, even school board, which I know you have plenty of experience in those races too. Uh, the governor's race. Nobody ever stops and looks all the way down at the bottom of the ballot and says, what about tax assessment? Tell me about it. You know, for the last 18 months, I've trying to get, been trying to convince people to vote for me. And, uh, you know, sometimes they look at me and say, look, I'm, I'm worried about more important things right now. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, there's there's a whole list of things going on in the world around us. And people are like, I'd your job title has tax in it. I'm kind of worried about that, actually. <laughs> no, that's absolutely true. No, the, you know, the assessor is such a fundamentally critical role within Lafayette Parish because, you know, he's responsible for preparing the tax rolls, assessing the, the property values, and then making sure that the tax collector has that information so they can collect the taxes and remit it to all of the governmental bodies in Lafayette Parish. Because if the assessor doesn't do that job mm-hmm. well, then that means policemen can't get paid, teachers can't get paid, firemen can't get paid, roads don't get built, drainage projects don't get done. It's It impacts everyone's life in Lafayette Parish. So get into the specifics a little bit, uh, if, if you can, on that. Like what what exactly, when well, you're evaluating the, the, the property values and things like that, how does that translate to pay for police, teachers, everything like that? Yeah, so, you know, I think it's, it'd be helpful to start off with what I call the fundamental principle of property taxes, which is that the only thing that your property should be taxed for are services that increase the value of your property. And when we do that and do it well, then that means the taxes that you pay are an investment in your property and not a cost of ownership. And I think too often our, ta- our property taxes, they become a cost of ownership. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we focus on those things, you know, you, things that make your property more valuable, people want to buy your house if there's a good school, if there's a good road, if it doesn't flood, if there's police and fire departments that service the property. These are the things that make your property more valuable so that every property tax that you pay, you should be able to get back later on should you sell the property or at least help you build wealth in mm-hmm. your property. I think that's a that's a really good point is we're we're living in kind of a tough economic time. People are you know, concerned about whether or not, you know, they can maintain what they have, much less building wealth. So how, if you can go a little bit further into that, how is it that they can use that, turn that around and use that to build? Well, we have to focus on what we're paying for, right? I mean, I'm like everybody else. My homeowner's insurance has tripled in the last two years. The dozen eggs I buy at the store has increased in price. The, The gallon of milk has increased in price. Our families are being squeezed. And so, you know, we have to be very mindful and very diligent about what we are tax what what taxes we're levying on ourselves to make sure that not only are they a good investment but also that they're being used appropriately and that's where the the assessor kind of plays a role because you know I've been on the school board for two terms as you know and we rely on the on the assessor's office very heavily to give us accurate long-term revenue projections mm-hmm. so that we know how much money we're going to have coming in so we can plan to build schools hire teachers 
and address the needs of our constituents in a manner that doesn't require us to, to raise taxes. And, and in my nine years, we've built six new schools, 10 wing additions at, at uh, other campuses, all without new taxes. And we've relied on the assessor's office to help us achieve that. Has there ever been a moment where the, the, the estimations basically coming in from the assessor's office are, are end up being uh, over what you guys actually get in revenue? No, no. It's always been very conservative estimating. Mm-hmm. They've been close, and they've been close enough for planning purposes. You know, we're talking about three, four, five years out yeah. as we're trying to plan our capital improvement projects. Um, they're much better on the 12 to 24-month range mm-hmm. for sure because we have a much better feel. But as you go three, four, five years out, as long as as long as they're not overestimating what we're going to get, mm-hmm. then we can live with that, right? And, and yeah. so that's really kind of the balancing act. And, and that's where my professional skill set comes in, comes into play because for 20 years, I've been a data analyst for financial institutions. I often joke that I'm on the school board. I don't know the first thing about educating children. Mm-hmm. This is why I send my children to school. Yeah. But what I do know is I know budgets and finance and, and leading successful budget reforms on a public body that led to those school construction without new taxes, I think, leads me into the assessor's role very well suited to help all of our municipalities and taxing authorities in the parish achieve their goals, meet their constituents' needs, all within the revenues that they have right now. It does seem, based on on the conversations now that we've been having about the, the assessor's race, that data and some of these tools are hugely important for it. And it's kind of, you know, how do we make sure that the office is up to modern technological standards? How do we make sure that we are using, you know, the newest tool, tools of the trade to make sure that everybody gets their values worth out of it? So, you know, everybody, most people's interaction with the assessor's office is you get your piece of paper in the mail every yeah. every fall and mm-hmm. it tells you what your property's worth and the taxes that you owe. But the, the process to get that piece of paper in front of the taxpayer is very complex and technical, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I think the assessor's job, the assessor has a lot of appraisers and, and real estate professionals, people with real estate knowledge working in the office. I think the, the assessor's job is mostly a data and technology management job at yeah. this point in time. It wasn't that way 20 years ago mm-hmm. when, the, when the office was run out of filing cabinets, but it is that way now. And so my degree is in computer information systems. I have a minor in math. Mm-hmm. Um, for 20 years, as I mentioned, I've been a data analyst for financial institutions. That, that experience right there leads me to the technology aspect of the job, but also with a with an eye on not just technology for technology's sake to have bells and whistles on the website or, or right. whatever. It's technology to help the office run better, faster, more efficient, giving data to the user when they need it, how they need it, and let them use it for whatever they want to use it for. You know, I'm also, you know, as we, as we run headlong technology cycles, just increase and accelerate technology yeah. changes ever more rapidly. I have a healthy skepticism of, mm. AI and all this new technology, while I'm very, very knowledgeable about it, I think knowledge also leads to a skepticism on the correct way to apply it and make sure that our taxpayers' data is secure, our taxpayers', taxpayers data is safe, and that it's, it's well-guarded as we execute the job of assessor. That, that was going to be my next question is the, I mean, we, we've talked about- Data it, breaches, kind of, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, we have personally identifiable information. The, the, uh, the MoveIt breach here right. recently that has affected everybody in the state in terms of the information that got out, the state of Louisiana now having to shell out money to get everybody credit monitoring for the next year. Uh, but we've also had kind of the broader conversations too. And I know it's, 
it's it's out of the purview of the job, but people talk about like election security, like just security in general. Everybody is worried about it because this is a, a brave new world that we're in. Without a doubt. And, and, you know, the the encryption technology that's out there, this is the way that you I mean, you know, hackers, when they when they get inside your network, they encrypt all of your data. Well, yeah. And, and you can't get it back unless you have the encryption key. Well, it works in reverse, too. Yeah. You know, you have to have some data security specialists and data security data security technicians on staff if we're going to be a highly technical office. And I think we will. Uh, the highly technical office, I think, is the way of the future. And it's uh, uniquely suited to my skill set and my professional experience. So uh, we're going to ask one more question before we take a break. And, and that really is just kind of, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but let's say day one in the job. What is your first order of business? First order of business is making sure that uh, we review the tax rolls to to make sure that when we get out of the reassessment year, mm-hmm. you know, this is very important to me that I think we have to have our property values be roughly about 75 to 80% of appraised value. You know, appraised value and assessed value, very different, two very different numbers. Mm-hmm. And by being at 75, 80% of appraised value, what we're going to do is take that choppiness at the top of the real estate market your your home values are not going to go up as much. They're not going to go down as much. It's going to be a long, flat, increasing line over a long period of time so that everybody has that certainty of when the year begins, you have a reasonable expectation of what your property tax bill is going to be. You're not going to get any big surprises in October and November, but it also allows you to plan and and budget for whatever the situation may be. All right, let's take this break. When we get back, Justin Santani running for Lafayette Parish Tax Assessor. Uh, got a few more questions, uh, your personal background, everything that makes you qualified for the job. We'll have that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. 232-1542 is the number. We'll take calls in the second half of the show. Uh, Justin Sandy here with me in the first half to talk about the Lafayette Parish Tax Assessor's Race. Uh, so you've mentioned a couple times now, uh, and, and I've known you for years. I was a teacher in the in the public education system. You're a school board member. Uh, some of your background, not just the school board stuff, but some of your background that really qualifies you for the role of tax assessor. Sure. So I think I think it's a combination of my professional experience uh, that I've kind of mentioned already, plus my experience on on the Lafayette Parish School Board. You know, public public budgets and public service is a is a different animal as i found out uh, very quickly mm-hmm. in 2015 when i was first on the school board we walked in with a 17 million dollar mid-year budget deficit and uh you know at the end of this year we're going to turn that into an actual reduction in property taxes for the taxpayers next year so in the in the interim we've built those six new schools mm-hmm. all without any increases and so i think that experience of being on a tax collecting body of understanding how public budgets work, leading successful budget reform, and making sure that we fund priorities and pay teachers and build schools and do what is necessary to make education happen, uh, which, by the way, I know you, you're well aware that the Lafayette Parish School System is now in the top 10 in the state. Mm-hmm. You know, So on all fronts over the last nine years, I think we've had some, some dramatic improvements, and it's directly a result of School board members and and central office administration focusing on what is important to the community and making sure that we deliver. But, you know, at the same time, like I said earlier, I I have experience in finance and budgets. That's where I was able to contribute on the school board. It's where I'm able to, what I do every day in my job is deliver and build data systems that deliver information and make operations and organizations run less expensive, faster, more efficient, 
this is this is how I live my life, you know. So that kind of leads to an interesting question because a lot of times you you have somebody you you've elected them to a job, and they're kind of the overseer for the job. They they kind of they the the folks under them they run the office and the folks under them actually do it. But based on your experience, do you expect to be more hands on with a lot of this? No, because the 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 assessor's role as the overseer of the office is going to be mostly a manager, mm-hmm. right? And and so you know the assessor's not going to go out to somebody's house, right, and put a value on it. I mean, I don't think that's the case, right? But the assessor is going to be setting the policy. Like I said earlier about the 75 to 80% of appraised value. Yeah. You know, the assessor is going to be setting that policy. The assessor is going to be authorizing the uh, technology projects mm-hmm. that are going to get implemented to make sure that our technology is continuing, continually invested in. You know, it's, I mean, we found out in December when Southwest Airlines suddenly couldn't fly airplanes yeah. because they didn't make their tech, keep their technology up to date. And so when you don't do that, you're not going to be able to execute them on your mission. And and that's an important thing to note for the taxpayers because, as I said earlier, the, the assessor doesn't do his job well, whether it's because of outdated technology or whatever the reason may be, that everything suffers in Lafayette Parish. So uh, got, a, got about a minute left. In, in, in a minute, give your pitch to the voters of Lafayette. So my philosophy when I'm your assessor is that we're going to do what the law requires and we're going to help people. What I've learned in my public service for nine years is that I get a tremendous amount of satisfaction from helping people navigate the bureaucracy and cutting red tape. Uh, We're going to have an effective office. We're going to work with all of the municipalities and taxing authorities in the parish to make sure that they're able to meet your needs without raising your taxes because at the end of the day, the tax money you pay directly impacts the value of your property and helps your family build wealth. Like every family in Lafayette Parish, the home is the largest investment that my family is going to make, and I'm committed to protecting that property value for both your family and mine. I hope that I can earn your vote on October 14th. There are four days left to early vote before the end of the day Saturday, Joe. Wow, it's going it's going by really fast. The election season just kind of, I mean, we... Today the, was the, was this, the third day of early voting, right? Yeah, yeah. So this... The like the the political season has just gone on forever. The actual election season just can't like it seems like it snuck up on us. Justin Santani, thank you very much for for being on the air uh, today to to let the voters know. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. All right, thank you. And we are going to go ahead and take this break. We've got your commodities report next, and we will uh, have some of the news of the day. We will talk about the happy fun times in Congress when we get back here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk ninety six point five KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5. KPL 232-1542 is the number if you want to be part of the conversation. Thank you very much to Justin Santani for joining us uh, today. Uh, Walter Campbell for joining us yesterday. Both candidates for the assessor's race coming up. Well, early voting is happening right now, but the assessor's race, the official election day, obviously, October 14th. Uh, Do go out and vote. It's important that you know who you're voting for and what you're voting for. The assessor has a very important job. It's just not one of the sexy jobs. It's not one of the sexy races. People don't really talk about who who are you voting for assessor. Nobody nobody mentions it a whole lot. So I wanted to bring that to you. Uh, I've known both candidates for several years, by the way. I've known uh, Justin for a while. I've known Walter for a a while. Uh, They are both good candidates. Uh, It's... 
it's your responsibility as voters to make an informed decision. I just wanted to bring them to the microphone for you to be able to make that informed decision. All right, let's turn our attention to Washington, D.C. I hate to do this to you, but do it, we must. Kevin McCarthy, for the first time in U.S. history, the House Speaker has been vacated. He has the shortest tenure as Speaker in U.S. history, I believe. And here we go. So, technically, the House can still pass bills and whatnot. The reason they couldn't do it back in January after everybody was sworn in, is because they didn't have the rules of the House established. Whenever you have a new Congress that's seated, you have to establish the rules for getting uh, bringing bills to the floor, things like that. That's already been done. So technically, they could still conduct business in the House. The problem is you need a manager of the House. You need a Speaker of the House. So the House is essentially paralyzed. They can't do anything until they elect a new speaker, which is going to cause a problem because, as I mentioned yesterday, Matt Gates didn't have a plan. And he's admitted as much. He didn't have a plan to replace McCarthy. His goal was to get rid of Kevin McCarthy. It's happened. Gates and like six, seven other Republicans, I think, joined in with every Democrat to uh, to vacate the chair, get rid of Kevin McCarthy. Now comes the long, arduous process of trying to figure out who in God's name even wants the job. Now, there is a Louisiana tie in all this in that House Majority uh, House Majority Leader Steve Scalise from Louisiana is one of the ones who's kind of favored right now. He is a potential candidate. He was considered as a possible alternative to Kevin McCarthy back in January when the original votes went down, but there's a problem in all this. Scalise recently announced he's battling cancer. It's not a, a it's, it's it's not a life threatening one, but it is a, a health battle that he's having to go uh, go through. So he may not want the job. The other thing is, I've talked with some folks in D.C. They don't know who wants the job. Matt Gates has said he will not be putting himself forward as an alternative. He doesn't want to be speaker. Because, let's face it, it's a tough job, and he has done what he wanted to do, and that's get rid of Kevin McCarthy. He doesn't want to be Speaker because there's so much potential for him to have to cut the deals in order to make the House function that he accused McCarthy of making. The Republicans have a slim majority right now, but there are a lot of Republicans that are mad at Gates. They think that Gates is, has just distracted folks from what really needs to be done in Congress. He has set back the process for getting the appropriations bills through because now they have to put a a pause on everything and get a new speaker before they can move appropriations bills through. And they've raised the potential for the Democrats to have greater control in the House. As much as Matt Gates blasted Kevin McCarthy for relying on Democratic support to pass the clean uh, continuing resolution, Gates himself was rallying Democrats, was lobbying Democrats to side with him to vacate the chair. There's a problem there. And I, I mentioned this before. I will say it again. My biggest issue is that there wasn't a plan. I'm not a fan of Kevin McCarthy. I wish Kevin McCarthy had gone away. I wish that he had never become the Speaker of the House. 
But objectively, because of the promises he made to conservatives, because of some of the things that happened in the House, Kevin McCarthy actually was forced to the right and actually pushed the chamber as a whole to the right. The House itself, the processes and procedures of the House were inherently more conservative. Now, yes, McCarthy did do some terrible things. He did force Biden to come to the table and then negotiated a terrible deal with Biden. But you have to remember, Kevin McCarthy is not inherently conservative himself. And who did he have working on that plan? He had uh, Garrett Graves. He had Louisiana Congressman Garrett Graves working on that plan. He and Garrett Graves were working to come up with this deal with Joe Biden back at the original budget crisis. Now we have this one where House moderates had agreed with the House Freedom Caucus to put forward a continuing resolution that would be an 8% cut in non-defense spending and not fund Ukraine, but fund the border. And Matt Gates scuttled that plan. Matt Gates helped scuttle the appropriations bills because Matt Gates was focused on getting rid of Kevin McCarthy. He did not actually want to have any other fight other than getting rid of Kevin McCarthy. He has been plotting this ever since McCarthy became the speaker earlier this year. So here we are. There is no Speaker of the House. We're in a very performative part of Congress right now. You have a handful of conservatives who don't like McCarthy, didn't like McCarthy, wanted to get rid of McCarthy. There's an interesting little tidbit there, though. These are all people that heavily support Donald Trump. Donald Trump supported Kevin McCarthy for Speaker. Where are the conservatives supposed to turn on that one? If they are both loyal to the idea of getting rid of Kevin McCarthy, but loyal to Trump, who endorsed McCarthy, spoke on behalf of McCarthy, uh, declared that McCarthy was the best bet for speaker, leaves kind of an interesting little conundrum amidst House conservatives right now. But the larger issue is the fact that the House is in chaos right now. There needs to be a speaker. Chip Roy, uh, I, again, I believe he is probably the most conservative member of Congress. And, and he's being called a rhino right now because he opposed getting rid of McCarthy. Uh, that's incredibly unfair to Chip Roy. Chip Roy had a good point. Going out and getting rid of McCarthy right now is pulling your quarterback in the middle of the third quarter. The House was making moves. The House was working to push forward with conservative appropriations and force the Democrats to come to the table and negotiate. And Matt Gates, because of his vendetta against McCarthy, scuttled all that. Chip Roy is absolutely right on that. There are a lot of good conservatives right now, not, not people that uh not people that are like conservative in name only. I don't even want to say rhino, but conservative in name only. Some of them rhinos in name only. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about legit conservatives. I'm talking about people who have been fully fine with Trump, who have supported Trump, who have fought Democrats time and time again, who have supported conservative ideas all their lives. Those people are now furious at Matt Gates. And here's another reason they're mad. And this is the part that I think frustrates a lot of them even more. 
There is a poll that came out today. A record high percentage of Americans trust Republicans to manage the economy over Democrats. According to a new Gallup survey, some 53% of respondents said the GOP were more likely to, quote, do a better job of keeping the country prosperous, end quote, versus 39% who favored Democrats. Gallup has been polling the same question since 1951, and the 14-point edge is the widest for Republicans since 1991 and a slight bump from their 10-point advantage this time last year. Democrats led by one point in September of 2020. Gallup analyst Justin McCarthy, no relation to Kevin McCarthy, I assume, noted to Semaphore that the final election year polling on the question has typically predicted the winner since 1984, with the most recent exception being 2000. The question was not asked in 2004. Republicans have a distinct polling advantage right now. More Americans trust the Republican Party to fix the economy, to fix the things that are going under. And Matt Gates has decided that now is the best time for performance art in the House. That is what a lot of Republicans in Congress think right now. And we've reached a point where it is kind of frustrating. It is frustrating that the Republicans get so close to victory and then they snatch defeat from the jaws of victory time and time again. This was kind of foolish on Matt Gates's part. It, it really should not have happened this way, if we're being honest, but it did happen this way. And we have to reconcile with that. We now have this major distraction in the House. Meanwhile, the Democrats can just sit back because you know what Democrats are going to do. They're going to vote for Hakeem Jeffries to be the speaker, and they're not going to get that. But the, the Republicans don't have a plan right now because Matt Gates forced something without there being a plan. There was no plan for a replacement. So this is what it's come to. It's come to chaos. It seems like the one thing the Democrats and Republicans have in common is that they both don't want Republicans to actually run things. Very weird how that works out. Let's take a break. We will be back in just a moment to wrap up the show here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 is the number if you want to be part of the conversation. Or you can send a message to the KPL app chat. Let's go to the phone lines now. We've got Josh on the line. I'm sorry, Jason on the line. Jason, how are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. What you got? Good, good. I had um, I expected it longer for them to uh, get rid of McCarthy uh, with the votes, but I was kind of curious if uh, this was a ploy to get a Dem back in charge, uh, the Speaker of the House, then Biden could step down, our cackler-in-chief, then would be Kamala, then the sec- uh, Speaker of the House then becomes VP, then we've got everything run by the Dems, then Biden would then very uh, be pardoned along with Hunter by Kamala. I was kind of curious if you thought that would be a way to play out. Typically, I'd say this is far-fetched, but now with everything is insanity inside the House, it's kind of up for grabs of stupidity. So that's an interesting question, and I, 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 I don't know if it's far out. I think it is. I think it's a bit of a stretch, but it is an interesting theory. The, the one thing is I don't think you have Republicans, even moderates, who are going to cross the aisle to get a Democratic speaker in. 
uh, I I think what's most likely to happen in this case is that you're going to get a Republican. The caucus is going to unite behind a Republican who is. I don't want to say modern enough because it's not the right term, but somebody who's palatable enough, somebody who is. Kevin McCarthy's a transactional guy. He's always been a transactional guy. He has made transaction after transaction in terms of getting more power. Republicans in this fight are going to look for somebody who is transactional in a good way, meaning they're going to make transactions between the moderates and the conservatives, not between Republicans and Democrats in order to keep power, but somebody who wants to actually move the ball down the field, which is why so many people think that Steve Scalise would be Uh, the most likely candidate for the next Speaker of the House. The Democrats maneuvering in the background, though, is an interesting thought because we know Nancy Pelosi is still very active in the background. She's not in leadership, but her handpicked people are the ones that that advance more often than not. So it'd be very interesting to see if that were the case. Who is Nancy Pelosi trying to guide into into that next seat of power? He is a horrible person. Oh, so absolutely. She just scares me to begin with. Yeah, but she, she absolutely what's, hor- what's most embarrassing is that during the uh, impeachment inquiry about Biden was that the very first thing they started to do mm-hmm. was you'd have the Dems start saying, well, no, you are you're trying to you are going to impeach Trump. The yeah. day before he even started the job. Yeah. And then the Democrats were coming back saying, well, you are wanting to uh, get rid of Biden before he even made place. So it was a bunch of back and forth tennis of, hey, let's argue about the wrong things. Why can't they just actually do their job instead of acting like a bunch of rich kids yeah. fighting over silliness? Yeah, you're right. Jason, thank you very much for the call. Unfortunately, we're right up against the clock. Appreciate you calling in. Appreciate you guys who listen every day. I'm going to take this 23-hour break and be back right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Joe P. Cunningham on Twitter, Joe Cunningham Show on Facebook. Check out the podcast. It'll be live momentarily. Talk to you guys again real soon.